It is Wednesday, May 17th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. The Nuggets take game one of the Western Conference Finals. And Celtics heat about to start up. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Lakers cover after fighting back. Not enough to win. The San Antonio Spurs win the NBA draft lottery. And the Eastern Conference Finals get underway tonight. What is the Vegas lead, Scott? Clearly the NBA. So much going on in the association. And we'll start with the furious comeback by the Los Angeles Lakers. The Nuggets, who were up 18 at the half. Hold on to win 132-126. Let's welcome in the only two-time winner of the Super Contest, Mr. Steve Fezzik, and our NBA guru, Mackenzie Rivers, as we talk about what we saw last night, where the spread actually came into play for some. Right, AJ? Like, if you were the early bird, you got the worm. Yeah, no doubt. If you If you played... Nuggets minus five. Minus five, minus five and a half. Yep. Fez, early bird? You know, I'm going to disagree with you. If you were like smokes pot for like 14 hours and woke up hungover and stumbled to a sports book, you got minus five. I mean, you had plenty. Okay. You had plenty of time to get minus five. But if you waited until today and said, ah, seven and a half is probably good. You're a big fat loser. You know, I checked 18 minutes before the game started, and it was six and a half to seven with the sharp books going up to seven. Did it go all the way to seven and a half? It says on the that's what the screen says. Seven Must and have been right, right, right at post. But you know, this goes back to you know, people don't listen to me. That's fine. Well, <laughs> um, I, I I work with betting syndicates. We won a whole lot of money, and we used to make fun of like what we saw out there in the marketplace, which doesn't mean we were right. But when we when, like a game like this, if if you cannot lose this game. You you have to win this game. It's like the Lakers get, you know, the game seven win and then they um the money of course is likely to come in on the favorite game one on Denver. And if you laid it early, you laid five on Denver, you played or you played a, a stale money line like minus two twenty early in the process. Or you went came back and played Lakers, whether it be seven half seven, whatever you got as as post approached. Either way you should have won. I'm frankly disgusted. I'm sitting here I won on the game. You should have won on both sides. I should have won on both sides. I didn't give it out to my clients, and I didn't play back on the Lakers, and I'm disgusted. It should have been like a $10,000 scoop, and I won like a couple thousand. So that's like – I didn't win a couple thousand. I lost 8,000, in my opinion, on this game. It was like – Because you left it on the table. Exactly. Uh, Mac, you can kind of speak to the way that the money moved. What – like how how long were the openers up, and and when did we really start to see a shift this week? The five-and-a-half to six was about a 24-hour move, and then it stayed put like a frozen rope. But then Chris Andrews, about an hour before the, the game tipped off, said, we're at six and a half. The market's at six and a half. We got a lot of people in L.A., here in the city, here in Las Vegas, that like the Lakers. We're not going back to six. We're only going one direction. Close seven and a half at Bookmaker. Oh, boy. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's certainly interesting that the, the late money – I mean, I guess the late money was right. The early money was right. Uh, when you look at it, it's, it, you're right. It should have been hard to lose this game. Exactly. And, and, you know, very rarely do games land on the number. In fact, in these NBA playoffs, it's 
I think two games have been landed within half a point. So everyone's spoken about pick the winner and you pick, you know, against the spread and that's the team that wins. Well, here's an example where the number absolutely did matter and knowing and being a sharp better, you should have won. It did help that Jokic missed uh, one out of two when he went to the free throw line with 10 seconds left. Shouldn't even have mattered. Uh, Seven should have been equally good. Yeah. You know, because there was never a reason if you were like, and, and I'll, I'll be the first to throw myself under the bus. I went to dinner and I wasn't actively monitoring it before the game started. But if I was, I, I would not have. It was a steady progression. There was never it, it, it steamed from six and a half to seven. There was never a fear you're going to lose the seven. There were plenty of sevens and then seven and a half pops. I uh, this morning when I was doing my my prep work for the day, I wrote down on I have a little notebook where I write down my potential bets and then I I usually most of them get crossed off uh, as the day goes on and I had three wagers on game one and all of them got crossed off. And somehow all three would have won. So I'm like you, Fez. I I probably didn't leave uh, eight thousand dollars on the table, but I probably left like a few hundred. Let's on turn the, table. the knife a little bit. Walk us through why you decided not to bet all those three profitable bets. Austin Rivers over. You love the guy. Austin, Austin Reeves. Yeah, I said great he, wing uh, matchup versus the Nuggets. Yeah, let's say fifteen. Yes, and I said oh over. And then going into the fourth quarter, he had, what, 12, McKenzie? Is that what we saw? Yeah, and he came alive in the fourth. But lit him up in the fourth. Easy over. I had Anthony Davis, points, rebounds, assists, over. Well, I think it his points alone got him. Clear there. by third quarter. It was easy winner. And then I had written down Lakers plus six and a half. The, um, you, you know, McKenzie's been tracking the profitable. Um, if you bet every player under, you make a lot of money. Uh, the, the premium players. That I'm going to make a bold prediction with 258 points scored. I'm guessing everybody went over. Uh, nope, not everybody. Who didn't make it? LeBron James. Depends on the number you got. He had 26. There were 26 and a halves out there, 25 and a halves out okay. there. Mm. Jokic far over, Davis far over. Okay. How about Murray? Jamal Murray would have got there, 31 points. Yeah, so three, three and call it three a one and oh, or three zero oh and one. one. Yeah. yeah, so. Uh, and LeBron with the the late turnover uh, that basically ended all hope for the Lakers. McKenzie, what is the line for Game Two? Ooh, and, well, let's predict. And how has the let's series predict. adjusted? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's. Are you looking at the screen? No, I can't see this. Uh, okay. Oh, I can't see this. <laughs> I'm going to guess he's that looking at the screen like Aaron Judge is looking at the dugout. I'll, I'll go with six. You're pretty much right. I'm looking uh, at minus well, well, five and a half, minus 15. All right. I guess I don't get to guess. What was your guess going to be? 6.75. Okay. Yes. But so that's interesting. Through the bounce back, the Nuggets should have been upgraded because of their dominant you know, first well, three quarters. Well, Bookmaker closed seven and a half. So I'm going to call the closer 7.25. Is that too high? Westgate was six and a half. It's arguable. It's seven, maybe. So if I called seven, I would have made six and a half. Wouldn't be surprised if it closed there. We're looking at minus five and a half, minus 15, pretty much six. And for the series, Nuggets are now minus 290, take back plus 250 on LAL. So the Nuggets were minus 165? Correct. And now they're minus two? Minus 290. After winning a game, they're supposed to win. They were up by 18 at the half. Yeah, they were blown uh, Mackenzie, what what do you think happened in the second half that completely turned this game on its head? I mean, do you Was want it, me to tell you, or yeah, do you want he, me to like keep a job in the sports media No, Mackenzie knows. I, I, I mean, I'm speculating that the fast start for the Denver Nuggets led to fatigue 
later in the game. I'm guessing McKenzie has a different answer. No, there's there's some credit to what you're saying. Jokic, you mentioned it in pre-production, is going to be washed in the in the you know story of this game. But poor poor fourth quarter, and he looked fatigued. Couple really bad fadeaways in the last few minutes. Only scored three points in the fourth quarter, all on free throws. But that wasn't why the game was close. Maybe that's why the Nuggets could have lost. But the game was close. Because even though the Lakers had slightly less free throws at half, I tweeted out, hmm, surprise, the greatest free throw disparity team of all time happens to be even this game, and they're losing by a lot. Well, they weren't even by the end of the game. It was a 3-1, to one, 20 free throws to 6 before the last minute or so. Down the stretch for the Lakers. I was, I was watching the broadcast. I was listening on the radio. Steve, uh, you know, my opinion is going to be biased, obviously. But Stan Van Gundy, when it was a 20-point lead, said, I really don't like the calls they're making. I just... I don't get that call. I don't get that call. What's going on? We wanted a close game. We got a close game. Congrats, America. Yeah, you're right. But I think maybe there's something to learn from this moving forward. And that's take this take the losing team in the second half. Because especially in Denver, I think, because fatigue comes into play. If a team gets out to such a great start, they're running fast. The pace in the first quarter was incredible. Up and down, up and down. I think so game, many points scored. It you couldn't you couldn't maintain that for four quarters. By the way, I think I, I misspoke. I said it was game six for the Lakers, so I'm sorry about that. Um, I was just implying that the Laker series was more could have gone either way versus the Phoenix series. Sure, felt like it was you know Dunzo yeah. know, faster. Well, that's what McKenzie brought up. He he, he McKenzie it was yesterday. I think yesterday sure. morning when you talked about how. Uh, you bet against the team coming off the game seven, and you said even though it was game six for the Lakers and the Warriors, it felt like a game seven. Yes. So you almost treat it like it was a game seven because of the magnitude of the situation. The winner was going to yes. win the series, yes. whereas in Phoenix wasn't going to win that series. Correct. <laughs> even if they won game six. Yes. Yeah. So that was the difference, and so I felt. And so maybe that maybe you know Nuggets' first half was – Probably the, the best bet we could have made in this game. But we like Nuggets to wear down the other team in altitude, so it's kind of hard to like give them I up. love the Nuggets. We were talking last night about doing an alternate spread, betting them to win by double digits. Mm-hmm. Alternate were, in the first half would have been nice. 18 at the half. That would have been nice. Minus, <laughs> plus 500 probably. Minus 16 in the first half if anyone offers by, that. By the way, um, I'm, starting to get, I'm starting to get a little itchy here. All right? The, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer, like, I, I got into Twitter wars with people. Like, oh, this is, like, completely unpredictable NBA playoffs. And I was like, this is the most predictable NBA playoffs I've ever seen because I'm a zigzag contrarian. So here we have a, a game one complete shootout. If we get a game two over, we're going to s- suddenly see a game three total. I would imagine the game two total is going to be, like, 226. Then we'll see a game three total go up to 229, and it should go down, not mm-hmm. up. Yeah. After people see see nothing but scoring and free throws, they will initially look to bet over and the under game three. If game two indeed does go over, especially by margin, I will be on that back in L.A. Couldn't agree more. And another factor in that that often comes up is game three is going to be a change of venue. Denver is a lot higher scoring this year and historically than playing in uh, L.A. Yeah, total is 225 and a half for game two. I think it's light. I think it's it'll go up. It'll go up. It's it'll go up. Everyone yeah. just saw that. Oh, these teams can't stop each other. Anthony Davis is incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because all, I mean, all we've talked about with the Lakers is best defensive team in the playoffs. Yeah. And then have we talked about that in the second half? Yes. Okay. I, I mean, am I am I wrong, Mac? It, like no, for sure. Like, they they've they been, haven't had a good offensive playoffs. They're middle of the pack in all the metrics. They've been dominant defensively, and and for for them to you know. Hmm. 
to to see a, a 132 get posted in game one certainly uh, speaks to this is going to be a little bit of a different series. So, um, yeah, that, that, it's going to be interesting to watch how these totals move. Uh, and then the Eastern Conference final, is that what's the, uh, the the most updated line? Well, it's over with. The 76ers blew it. Boston minus eight for the Eastern Conference Finals game one. Okay. Host in Miami. No, the, the Eastern Conference Finals are, are done. They, I think the, that's Boston, a fair point. Boston, I mean, Boston, Boston already <laughs> won. You know what? But listen, minus five fifty looks cheap. <laughs> exactly. It, it does, and I'm I'm not going to say it doesn't. But remember, Miami beat a one seed already. Don't care. Uh, and Miami made the Knicks look like they didn't even belong in the playoffs. Like, don't care. If, okay. if this would this would be like one of the greatest upsets in NBA history. Would it be? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I've, I, I'll die on this hill, and when the Celtics win the title, I'll look really dumb. But the idea that the Celtics are like some dominant force is so stupid to me. Seattle wasn't that good, and Dikembe Mutombo's upset of them was like epic. They were in a, they, it took seven games to beat the Hawks, and then seven games to and basically James Harden laying down on the ground to beat the Sixers. Yeah, like, the, the, but it was like, oh, the Celtics, they're the team to beat. Well, Why? The year they won the title, they won. I think they won all their series in seven games, right? What year was that? That was the year with um, – Like 2003? 2008, 2008. Like we're, we're going – that's ancient history. What? That's – no. That's, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen were on that team. He still looks like he could play Kevin Garnett. He looks no, good, No, he man. doesn't. He doesn't. Scott, Kevin Garnett looks good, right? Kevin Garnett is I mean, good. he looks good compared to us. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't see this dominant Celtics team that everyone else sees. Well, well the, every you know, I, I get roundly criticized. You saw my tweet. I said, whoever wins the NBA this year has the potential to be the worst NBA champion of all time. And everyone, like, like, like absolutely went nuts talking about all these Hall of Famers. Who cares if they're Hall of Famers? I'm talking about how good they are now, not how good they were in 2008, like you said. And um, I think that was Kevin Garnett playing against LeBron back We've then. We've been spoiled. The 2005 Spurs, the 2007 Spurs, the 2004 Pistons were, like, worse than these teams. Like, by now standards, by then standards, I agree that we, we're not going to have a Warriors or a Raptors or a Lakers or a Bucks. I think it's probably, like, a plus five team, plus five and a half team versus a plus seven and a half team. But it's, come on. Well, I know only because only because all the players are bigger and stronger. But relative to their to their to the other teams in the league, this team has has like 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 power rating wise. Like I can prove this. This is easy. What's your power rating on Denver? And what's your power rating on Boston? Well, I don't have power ratings from the 2005. Te- I'm telling you, anybody could have won that I bet- finals, and they weren't going to be much better than their competition. The Pistons and Spurs just happened to make the finals. Well, the Spurs were laying like six and a half in Game Seven, so they were so they so they were you know two like three points better than the second best team. And I don't think either Boston or Denver is power rated. A, they're certainly not a six. They might be a five and three quarters. What do you think? You can't use relative power ratings to say how good a team is historically. That's what I do. That, 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 that's exactly how I evaluate so how good a team is. the Spurs are three points better than the Pistons, which may or not be true. I kind of like the Pistons in that game. I remember at 15. No, I'm, I'm, but, I, I, I recognize that these guys could beat Bob Cousy, but I'm just saying relative to their competitors, they, they, this is good. Maybe, maybe I'll retweet and say these are the lowest power rated teams versus the average NBA team that I have ever seen. I disagree with that. I, I mean – I I can see that argument if the Heat win. How many games the Spurs? Look up how many games the Spurs won. Irrelevant. 
Oh, it's irrelevant. They won. You also 60, have a computer, my friend. They won sixty. They yeah. They won sixty-one. That was two thousand eight versus or whatever they won versus um, you know these teams. You know, nobody even won 59 games this year. There's been far more absences among star players, amongst all players in the NBA. We were talking about this. Why do the playoffs look so different? The seeding looks so different now versus historically? Because the NBA doesn't care about the regular season. The memo's out. Oh, the that doesn't speak to how good these teams are yeah. from a basketball perspective. That's an excellent I mean, we can, point. Yeah, we can argue that the Warriors, had they beaten the Lakers, we'd be talking about the Warriors as the best team in the playoffs left, right? I mean, obviously, their performance against the Lakers yeah, would have dictated that. Yeah, right there with Denver, right there, yeah. worse than Boston. Yeah, and they were a 44-win team this year that had the worst, one of the worst road records of, of anybody. Right, Spurs only won 54 in 2008-2009. Yeah, I, the, the regular season's meaningless. We know that. I mean, Denver obviously plays hard to throw, for the regular season. The Lakers were in the play-in tournament. The Heat were in the play-in tournament. Like— you know, the, the 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 at least the Lakers and the Heat, we could say if this, if there was no playing tournament, still would have been in the playoffs, right? Because they weren't nine or ten, but still, like they had to play to get into the actual playoffs. And now they're both in their respective conference finals. That'll take us into the Heat Celtics game one tonight. The Miami Heat catching eight points in game one total, sitting it around. 210, 210 and a half. What are your initial thoughts? I know you're a Celtics guy for the series, but eight feels like a pretty big number for a team in Boston who's coming off a, a grueling seven-game series. I feel like what we saw last night scares me off of the eight because can't can't you see, because I can certainly see it being very similar to what we saw last night. I think the Celtics get out to a big lead, and maybe Miami has a comeback like the Lakers did. I, if anything, I don't want a I don't want Celtics minus eight for the game. I think I'd rather play the Celtics in the first half. I think I'd jump on the four and a half. Yeah, I think I'd jump on the Celtics in the first half. I think I am going to dip on the Heat plus eight. I, I, I've said all along. I, I think that this is uh, th- this Celtics team has been overhyped. Uh, I'm not saying they're not good. Yeah, but what I, I think they, they are. What have the Heat shown us in this postseason? I don't know. They they beat the one seed. Uh, they they mm-hmm. made they made the Knicks who looked like they beat the one seed without Giannis. I mean, how many games did Giannis miss? What did he miss two? He missed uh, at least one. I think he missed a game. Like I mean, he wasn't himself. And by the way, the game that Giannis missed is the game that the Bucks won. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are we talking about? Uh, they they beat the Bucks. Well, Jimmy Butler missed the game, right? No, that was the Knicks series. Uh, yeah, and listen, this is uh, they made the Knicks. Who no, Giannis only played three games against the Heat. Out of how many? Five. Out of yeah, I guess five. Okay, uh, sorry, you were the one seed playing a team that had to win play-in games. What do I like? We're gonna discredit an eight seed beating I, a one I, I, seed. Okay, okay, and hey, listen. You don't want this list out. The Heat beat the best team in the Eastern Conference in the Knicks, so yeah. I mean, the Knicks, honestly, the way the Knicks deserve to be where they are. Think about how good the Knicks looked, and you were high on the Knicks at that point, too. They were coming off that Cavs series, and it was like, wow. I mean, maybe the Knicks are really onto something here. The Knicks were non-competitive in that series. The Heat have a history of playoff success. This is a team that every year they are – Better than the sum of their parts. This is not a team of superstars. This doesn't, this, they're probably what, the fifth or sixth most talented team in the Eastern Conference? And I'm talking like over the last five years. 
I, I mean, outside of, I mean, man, consistently, you could argue they've been right there with Boston as like the, the best teams mm-hmm. for the last five or six years in the Eastern Conference with a, a percentage of the talent that Boston has. So I, this is a, one of the most experienced playoff coaches uh, going against a rookie head coach. Uh, this is Jimmy Butler, who always, always shows up big in the playoffs versus Jason Tatum, who is very hit or miss with mm-hmm. his playoff performance. Like what, here's what I can tell you now. Jimmy Butler won't have a seven point performance in this game. Like that's one thing I'm, I'm certain of. Yeah. So Eight just feels like a lot. Again, I'm not saying the Celtics aren't better than the Heat. Celtics should beat the Heat. I just think the Celtics are being priced like some sort of dominant monster team that I just I don't see. Like they, mm. it took them seven to beat the Hawks. Took them seven to beat the Sixers. I, I, I think that the I, I think the Heat are live here. I, I don't think they're just going to get trucked in this thing. Any feel for the total? Because I like the under. Uh, I, I don't. Ha- I mean, I guess the under would be the way I'd play it, uh, but I, d- I don't really have a great feel for the total. Don't you think it's correlated? The Heat plus eight with the under. I think if, if, if I'll say this: if the game goes over, the Heat didn't win. Uh, yeah. the, the Heat. The Heat probably didn't compete even. Mm-hmm. So I, I get. Yeah, I guess in that way they are correlated. Yeah, because if you, if you think the Celtics cover the eight, then it's probably going to be. Uh, I don't know, one ten to you know. Well, I guess the total is two ten and a half. So if the Heat go if the if the Celtics score one fifteen to one twenty, you Miami doesn't cover. But if Boston only gets one one hundred five one ten, odds are Miami probably covers one ten one hundred. Well, that's a Celtics cover and an under. But how about you know one ten one hundred five? Yeah, and that's two fifteen. No, that's an over. That's an over. Well, I'm not the greatest at math. You're not. That's all right. Uh, here's the other way I'm going to look at this. I'm going to go under on Jason Tatum's points. Set at 29 and a half. It's pretty high. It's, it's, I mean, listen, the guy's coming off the greatest uh, yeah. Game 7 performance ever. Uh, seems like the time to to go under because Joe Schmo, uh, you know, Barney at the bar, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. is probably going to be looking over there. Jason Tatum, he just scored 61, 51 points. Of course he's going to go over 29 and a half. I, I don't think so. I, I think if if a player on the Celtics goes over, my guess is it's Jalen Brown. Uh, I 24 could, and a half. I could, see, I could see Tatum scuffling a little tonight. And, and scuffling could be 26 points. Yeah. I'm not saying it's like he's going to score 10 but Jason Tatum's too inconsistent for me I think it's to a, like him at this I total. think it's a good idea after the 51-point performance to fade the, the high total. I think you have Because to. the public's just going to be all over the over because yep. he's just, just scored 51. So I, I kind of like where your head's at there. Elsewhere in the NBA, a bunch of uh, ping-pong balls or, I don't know, envelopes or some Like, I don't know what the – I mean, Scott was explaining the, uh, the hockey – method of oh yeah that's just it's so absurd. strange yeah but there was an nba draft lottery and we knew that someone's franchise was going to get changed this was a big deal there was a, a generational talent most people think in victor Wimbanyama. and the san antonio spurs oh come on get the first pick in the draft that's not fair well deja vu all over again yep uh spurs Charlotte gets the second pick. Think the NBA's got to be thanking their stars 
that Charlotte didn't get the first pick. They're thanking Michael from accounting. What are you talking about? Uh, maybe so. <laughs> They're lucky stars. <laughs> and then Portland gets the third pick, which means the Rockets get bumped to four. Pistons get bumped to five. Uh, and I did some work today on the top three teams in the draft and how they do historically. Uh, and the numbers were pretty surprising. And so here's what I did. I, I, I took those three teams and the wins that they got that put them in the, the top three of the lottery. Like, hey, how many games did you win that year? I did that plus one, plus two, plus three. So how they do over the next three seasons. And then I did how they did uh, on their, their win total the next season, the season, the season that they draft the, their top three player. And Fez, what's your guess on, on how this works? Uh, on teams that draft in the top three, do you think their win totals are generally set too high or too low? Let me think about this. It's unclear to me. I really don't even have an answer. I, so my thought was that there have been some busts. I'd say too high, just because of the 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 Portland guy or the Gonzaga kid, right? The Adam Morrison, yeah, yeah. the Adam Morrison impact so, and the well, at, Philly's ruined every top pick that they've had. So besides Embiid, Embiid but, yeah. <laughs> just because I, I can remember, it seems like there's been more busts than expected. So my thought was everybody the UNLV gets excited. Kid got picked one, Anthony Bennett, the ant, the asthma oh, kid. He was bad. Yeah. My, my thought was that everybody gets excited about right. the, top, the top players in the draft and everybody thinks this guy is going to change their franchise. And I would assume that the win totals would just be set too high on those teams. But we're wrong, aren't we? And going back to 2008, so the last mm -hmm. 15 years, the top three teams in the draft, 29 and 16 over their win total by an average margin of just under two games. Now, let me throw out an alternative theory. Okay. If you have that top pick, does it reinvigorate the franchise, Scott, such that now the you you don't want to tank now that you got a Zion or somebody and you're looking to make other moves to improve your team because you've already got that cornerstone that uh, it's no longer critical to get another top three pick? Yes. Um, I think it, you, you got the draft well. That's the thing. You can get the picks all you want. I keep I keep bringing up the the Sixers. You can get the picks, but if you don't make the right choices with the picks, it doesn't matter. The Celtics made the right choices with all their picks. They've been in five of the last seven Eastern Conference Finals, and we're in the NBA Finals last year. They drafted Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum with the third overall picks in back-to-back -back drafts. Uh, a year before that, it was Terry Rozier. The year before that, it was Marcus Smart with the sixth overall pick. So with their top six picks, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum in three of, out of four drafts. That's how you build a team. The Celtics take Markel Fultz and the Sixers. Ben, uh, six, the Sixers, excuse me, take Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons, and that's how you fail. But you know what? So, yes, you can reinvigorate the franchise, but if you pick the wrong players— it doesn't mean anything. Can we really blame him for Ben Simmons? Wasn't he supposed to be a once in generation like like type I, of player? I, that Ben Simmons is the one I don't. I I didn't like Markel Fultz. I didn't blame him for Ben Simmons. I kind of got it. It didn't work out, but I understood. I'm not gonna like. They also took Jaleel Okafor with the third overall pick yeah. one year. Well, <laughs> here's the thing though. 2017 Sixers take Markel Fultz number one overall. 
They they had 28 wins the year that they got the first pick. The next three years, 52 wins, 51 wins, 43 wins. Like, that cha- changed the outlook. Like, I'm not saying Markel Fultz did, but whatever you think of the process, or, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it, it put the Sixers on the map. Like, it did, did it get them a title? No. But they've certainly been one of the – a top four team in the Eastern Conference for what, the last six years, seven yes. years? The well, traje- trajectory was better than, say, a Charlotte. Sure. Um, type of team, right? I mean – Yeah. But it also goes – I mean, they hit on Embiid. If you hit on a generational talent – that, but if I told you they MVP, were going to, if I like, told you yeah. they were going to hit on one out of four of their top three picks, and that guy would eventually be the league MVP, then yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's better to have the league. I mean, let's let's face it. So Embiid is worth what six points to the line, five and a half. So that is the equivalent of hitting on all four and then being you know top you know fifty five players. So how many wins on average? And this is another interesting thing because. You know, I said maybe we we overrate these top prospects, and I said 29 and 16 for win totals over. Of the 16 times it went under, eight of those were the number one overall pick. Mm. The other eight were split up between the second and third. So maybe in general, the number one overall pick, his team gets overrated to the point where, it, I mean, they were seven and eight. The Zion versus Za. We got Ja. That that you know, in many ways, it's a little you know you can relax a little when you get the two pick because you know now if if it's unclear, oh, unless you're taking you know not taking Jordan, so they've <laughs> taken the you know the, the Sam Bowie, the, yes, the team with the first pick seven and eight in the last fifteen years to their mm. win total, second and third picks twenty two and eight to the over on their win total. Well, I'll ask you right so, now, are you going to bet over the Spurs next year? No, no. Based on this work, I, I'm not betting over on the Spurs. And you, like, the Spurs are—they're gonna have the Spurs will have the highest win total of these three teams: Spurs, Charlotte, and Portland. And they're not—they're not the best team. Like, that's a, a a team that's basically devoid of talent right mm-hmm. now. Um, so the Blazers were 40 and a half. The Spurs were 22 and a half to start last year. I'm going to say the Blazers still have a higher win total than the Spurs to start next year. You might be right on the Blazers, but the, the Spurs will have more than Charlotte, right? Yes, yes. And the, and the Spurs will have way more than the Rockets or uh, the the um, the Pistons. And in general, right now, like take Wimbenyama out of it, the Rockets are way more talented because the Rockets have had top picks in the last two drafts. So they had the second pick and the third pick in the last two seasons. Now they're going to add the fourth pick. Like, just on paper, the Rockets are a more talented team. Spurs will have a higher win total. So, yeah, I I, uh, I think the, the number one overall pick may just be – it may overrate a team. So what's two and three if we just ignore all number ones? What's the record for overs the next year after they get a lottery, ignoring the number one overall? 22 and eight. That's nice. That's a good number because uh, it's it's seven and eight for the one seeds, 22 and eight or, – or seven and, seven and eight for the number one pick team, 22 and eight for the number two and three team. Uh, the year after, so next season, the average improvement in just pure wins. So if you're saying how many more how many more games are they going to win next year, the average for the teams that pick in the top three over the last 15 years, plus 9.6 wins. So it's, I mean, it, there is a jolt 
when you get a guy like this. And I'm sure, I mean, the Spurs will probably win nine, ten more games than they did a year ago. The problem is their win total will probably be set 12 higher, 13 higher than it was this year. And the damn season lasts so long. You don't get your money back. How many of those? For nine months. Are those nine point? I feel like, can we eliminate this year from this? Because Chet Holmgren didn't play this year, but the Thunder. They were still 16. 16 I'm saying Thunder went clearly over their win, though, but it had nothing to do with the top pick. Uh, I don't know that that's true, though, because sometimes when you get a player like Chet Holmgren, you're t- like you build back your to team what Pez was saying. Yeah, you end the cycle of tanking. All right, now we're actually going to win some games this year. Mm. There's no reason to tank because you got the play. Yeah, yeah. But all three teams this year were were better than they were a year ago. Uh, the 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 Magic won 12 more games. Thunder won 16 more games, and even the Rockets won two more games than they did a year ago. Uh, and then over the over the next three years, after you pick in the top three, on average, you win over 14 more games per season in that three-year span. Might it just be the cumulative effect also of, you know, take the extreme example. So Jordan's coming in, so maybe i got to do a little less cocaine and actually, like, you know, like stay in shape for the season. Like, like having, a, having a guy come in that's a top three player it should reinvigorate the, the veterans and the people that are aboard, wouldn't you think? I would think so. I mean, I, but, again, it's so hard to tell now because the regular season just seems like it doesn't matter at all. And if you're and 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 this isn't gonna this is gonna make things worse. The results this year, the 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 the, the uh, success the Lakers are having, the yeah. success Miami is having. Well, it's like why did M- why is Embiid averaging thirty three for the for the year and then he gets banged up? What what are we doing? And this is interesting to me. And Mac, you tell me if you agree with this. We I mean we've talked about how the regular season matters less and less than it ever has. To me, it matters less and less to the teams that know they're going to be in the playoffs. To teams like Orlando and Oklahoma City, the regular season matters way more. Like this is this is what they're this is how they build. Like success to them is measured differently than success for the Golden State Warriors or the Denver Nuggets. Winning a bunch of regular season games doesn't mean anything to those teams because that's not what they're trying to do. Like the Magic know they're not going to win an NBA title this year. So what? How do they measure growth? They had the number one pick. Well, let's go out and and show vast improvements. They won 12 more games this year. It's a big number. It says, hey, we're going in the right direction. Do you agree, Mac? I do. And the smoothing out of the lottery process does help it where it doesn't really matter if you're the worst or the fourth worst. Although the Spurs did have the best odds to win it, and they did win it. I'm reminded of something (laughs) that my cousin says, which is four or five teams really want to win it every year, and the other ones just want to sell tickets and, you know, keep the business going. It really helps the Magic to have a rookie of the year. It really helps them to score more than 100 points a game to not be the worst offense in the league by a mile. So, yeah, there's other priorities that the playoff teams don't really care about. They're waiting till spring. The teams in the middle, I feel like, actually have more to, to grapple over. Does this feel like, I mean, we Mac, you and I talked about it. Had Charlotte gotten the number one pick? I, I don't I don't know. Like, I think the star power of Wimbenyama is <laughs> limited instantly. Not that San Antonio is like a flashy market, but they, he's – you could argue that they – I mean, well, you can't even argue. He's he's with the most accomplished coach in the league. Mm-hmm. He's with a franchise that's got a bunch of rings yep. in recent history. Like, it could be like a resurrection of a franchise, which I think instantly people get excited about. We've seen this before. David Robinson, a top 50 player all time, got hurt, had a little ankle, couldn't play. The GM, Greg Popovich, was like, that's fine. Sit down. We're cool. 
Actually, I'm going to be coach next year, and we're going to draft Tim Duncan, and we're going to win five championships and win 60 games every <laughs> single year. So it seems like deja vu all over again. This doesn't seem like a coincidence. When there was two teams left, I was very confident it wasn't going to be the Hornets. Oh, yeah. So I'm not saying I'm not saying there was like a frozen envelope. I'm just saying it could have been San Antonio. It could have been Portland. It could have been Houston. Highly unlikely <laughs> it was going to be Charlotte. You know, I got highly unlikely. I, it, it, it's easy to say all that, but I, I, I think RJ once went through and he like he made a case for why like all but two of the teams and I, I get it, Charlotte's one of them. You know, that the, the, you could say, oh, conspiracy theory. The NBA wanted Houston to you know have the top pick, et cetera. You know, across the board. Um, I, I mean, come on, it's not 1995 anymore. You know, you, they've got they've got you know CPAs and people monitoring all the stuff. The integrity is so critical to everything. Come on, there's 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 no shady. But going if on. I vehemently disagree, what are the three worst markets that you could put a massive massive NBA star in? Charlotte's certainly in that top three. Sure, I I don't know. I mean, maybe is Utah one of them? Yes, and probably Sacramento. Definitely Sacramento. Is that the three? Um, Did you say Orlando? Memphis. Is Orlando worse than Utah or Sacramento? I guess Shaq worked in Orlando. Memphis is, Memphis is small, right? Memphis is small, but I think it's a good NBA market. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, Jaws seems to be working pretty well in Memphis besides, you know. Making IG when he's videos. on the team. Yeah, when, when, yeah, when he's available. Um, Indianapolis? I, Indiana's a pretty bad one. That's, that You're right. It's... It's up there. So Scott, I'm thinking about crappy cities I never would want to live in. <laughs> no shrimp cocktail? St. Elmo's? Yeah, I'm not going to clown. I, I don't hate Indianapolis as much as Fez does. He thinks it's a terrible place. There's but... no body of water. What's up with that? You, you know that that's the Kurt Vonnegut line, right? Yes. Yeah. It's the largest city in the in the United States without a navigable waterway. I like it because it's everything's right there. You Everything. never have to go outside. Yeah, I mean, it's very – yeah, you can just walk through oh, tunnels. Oh, it's great for a media-up guy. Yeah, it's like it, – that's Well, that – listen, that's why the NCAA tournament is there every four years. Well, yeah. you'd, love, <laughs> you'd, you'd love Minneapolis. You know, I, I was – they're building this sphere, $2 billion sphere. And so I was watching, there's like these walkways, and they're not completely covered, but there's a walkway between the wind and the sphere and the convention center. And I'm like, oh, it's just like Minneapolis or Indianapolis. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're taking a cue, you know, having people walk over the roads instead of, you know, getting run Are you going to go there for you too? Um, to the sphere? With or without you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it'll be without me. Uh, I, I'm not a U2 guy. You just don't not, understand their music. I guess not. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a commoner. Uh, so there you go. Uh, some some interesting work. And again, I I'm probably going to look at Charlotte and Portland's win totals uh, th- this off season. One of the things that your win their win totals over over or under? on Charlotte and Portland, mm. and probably under on San Antonio. Although that's been like a fifty fifty. Like seven and eight isn't super strong. Twenty two and eight mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. for the the two in the in the three pick that that feels good. Uh, Mac, you, we were talking about the. Like the mock drafts that came out instantly after, and most mocks for the for the longest time it seemed like Victor Wembanyama was the guaranteed deadlock number one. I think he still is minus twenty thousand. Okay, and then for the longest time, number two was Scoot Henderson, but in minus one forty right now to be the number two pick. Yes. Okay, in recent weeks, I've seen a lot of push for Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller, even money. From Alabama, or plus 100, some people like to say. (laughs) Brandon Miller from Alabama to be the number two pick. 
And those are the only two players, by the way, because Eamon Thompson is plus 3,000. Yeah. So it puts Portland in a weird spot. If, if let's say Charlotte takes Brandon Miller and that leaves the clear cut number three being Scoot Henderson and he plays the same position that Dame Lillard does, what does Portland do? Really hope that Brandon Miller is available to them at three because um, I feel like they're bought in, they're sold, they're a Damon, Damon Lillard franchise till he goes, yeah. till he retires, and it doesn't work. We saw the Kings. I mean, maybe they'll they'll fall in love with a big because the Kings, when we saw how successful their season was, everyone and their mother, I think it was minus 400, said Jaden Ivey's too good not to go at number four. And they're like, we don't need a guard. It's not going to help us. So they got the best power forward available, and it worked out for them. Maybe the Blazers, if they can't trade out of it, will have to do the same. Yeah, that puts them in a weird spot because if, if like if we say there's one, you said what's the gap? What's the gap between the uh, the t- the second and third, and then the fourth? Yeah, so the second overall pick odds: Scoot Henderson minus one forty, Brandon Miller even money, Eamon Thompson plus three thousand. I have a serious question: Did people actually watch this? Because the like, lottery? I, yeah, because I have like I have like zero interest. I, am I, I am, I'm on an island. I right? watched like no, you're not on an island. I watched like a tracker that like uh that was I didn't mm-hmm. watch like uh, the broadcast. I just saw a tracker of when they were popping up. Why um, would they do this during the season? Why wouldn't they they do this like during like like and you know after the NHL playoffs are over and it's like a dead time and everyone hates baseball? Because people are waiting for the Lakers game to start anyway. If you're an NBA fan. This is part of the pregame show. But the NFL is great at like scheduling an event every, seemingly the N- every the month. The NFL draft order is already determined when the season's over. This is now determining it by it, – it, you make an event out of the lottery. The NBA and the NHL have, have done a decent job of making the draft order a, 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 another event. Bold, bold prediction, within five years, the NFL will have ping pong balls. And in some extent, they can't have to, the, the the integrity of people, you know, tanking for Tua. They they just can't. As a Jets semi fan, what do you think about that? Because the Rams Jets, or was it Rams Jets? Who's the oh, Jaguars Jets? Obviously, yeah. That the was a, that was probably yeah. the worst game in Jets history, and they won. The the Jets won, which uh, prevented them from getting Trevor Lawrence and added Zach Wilson to their roster. Yep. But teams are going teams are getting closer and closer to being savvy enough to find creative ways to lose, as long as Lovey Smith is not coaching them. Yeah, right. As long as you coach, your coach is down with the cause and doesn't know he's going to be in a different city next year, it works out. Why wouldn't he be down with the cause if he, if you if you had a united front? You know, exactly, but the problem he is he was going to be, get fired. Yeah, be, yeah, 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 because because he's only won two games and most two <laughs> two win teams fire their coaches. Good point. You know, every once in a while, I'll be sitting at home and saying, "What are we going to cook for dinner? What are we going to cook for?" It? My wife says, "I don't know," and then guess what happens. Omaha Steaks comes by and drops meat off on my front porch and makes all the decisions that much easier, Scott. Meat to your front porch? Can't beat it, man. Doesn't get better than that. I had the meatballs last night, and they were delicious, man. It was easy to cook, reheat in the oven, and bang, dinner is served. It's steaks, it's chicken, it's pork chops, it's it's meatballs, like you said. They've got sides. So much great stuff. Guys, they've got a great sale going on right now. The Omaha Steaks semi-annual sale is here. It's a sale so nice, they only do it twice. Score mouth-watering savings on all your Omaha Steaks favorites with 50% off site-wide during that semi-annual sale going on right now. From tender, juicy steaks to big, beefy burgers, scrumptious sides, decadent desserts, and so much more, now's the perfect time to grab all your favorites. 
Plus, get an extra $30 off when you use our promo code VEGAS at checkout, and every purchase is backed by their unconditional money-back guarantee. Simply go to omahasteaks.com and shop the semi-annual sale today. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code VEGAS at checkout. Minimum purchase may apply. What's good, everybody? I'm Gerard Hector, host and executive producer of the True Hoop Podcast. You can catch me and the godfather of basketball player development, Coach David Thorpe, every Monday and Thursday, talking all things NBA. I talked to a player recently who made a jump shot with like one or two seconds to go in the game because of point differential. And he had to think about it for a minute. And he's like, I let that bitch fly. Boom, he made it. He was happy. <laughs> Whatever. Search for the True Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Rate and review us. That's T-R-U-E-H-O-O-P. Catch us every Monday and Thursday. Take care. We got some day baseball today as the Pirates take on the Tigers in Detroit. That's the uh, second game of this little uh, two-game set between these two teams. Your boy, the American League Cy Young candidate, Eduardo Rodriguez. Oh, my guy. On the hill for the Tigers against Rich Hill for the Pirates. Coming off a shutout yesterday, by the way, the Tigers. Tigers playing better ball. Yeah. Detroit is minus 160. Oh, that, that price is too high for me to want to pay. But Total uh, seven and a half. I, I kind of like an under. Rich Hill's been good. Mm-hmm. Although, boy, you know, you think at some point that's got to, he's, he's a million years old. He's got to start fading. Uh, I, it would be under or pass for me. Uh, but 160 is too pricey on the Tigers, who you just can't trust. Sonny Gray leads the Twins into the Dodgers at. This is an afternoon start, 12-10 Pacific time. Dodgers minus 140 with Dustin May on the hill. Total eight and a half. I kind of like an under. I I don't mind that either. Sun shining. It's, you know, it might be a little hot. And remember, they they, they played damn near a game and a half the other day. Mm -hmm. And it went under last night, as predicted. And Sonny Gray and Dustin May. Two of their better pitchers. Yeah, I don't mind it. Maybe a first five under is the play for this one. Uh, Reds at the Rockies. Graham Ashcraft, Austin Gomber, Colorado minus 120. Total 11 and a half at Coors Field. Diamondbacks and A's. How about those A's winning 9-8? Against the D-backs last night. Congratulations. Hey, hey. <laughs> Ain't going to make it two in a row. Uh, Ryan Nelson gets the start for Arizona. Luis Medina gets the start for the A's. Arizona, minus 160, total nine and a half. Phillies take on the Giants. Tawan Walker against Sean Manaya. Manaya has been real disappointing this year. Royals at the Padres. Hugh Darvish gets the start for the Padres. Not sure what the Royals are going to do yet with their pitching situation. Kyle Bradish gets the start for the Orioles, hosting the Angels. Griffin Canning goes for L.A. Baltimore's minus 140, total of nine. Nationals at the Marlins. Mackenzie Gore for D.C. Edward Cabrera for Miami. Miami's minus 130, total of eight. Yankees, Blue Jays. Garrett Cole against Chris Bassett. Yankees only minus 120. Oh, that's not a bad price on the Yanks. So it would seem like a great price on the Yankees. Yeah, got a big win yesterday. Although, are the Yankees going to finish off a sweep of the best home team, in, arguably, in baseball? Well, that's the other thing. Yeah, I forgot how good Toronto is at home. Yeah, maybe a pass for me. Are they going to lose? Actually, it's not a sweep, so it's a four-game series. Oh, so yeah, is... I like the Yankees then. Okay, and then, then you'll pick the Blue Jays tomorrow. Yeah. To avoid the four-game yeah. sweep. All right. I like it, too. Uh, Marco Gonzalez goes for the Mariners. At the Red Sox, Brian Bello goes for Boston. Uh, Boston finally snapped their losing streak, beating Luis Castillo. 
last night. Uh, elsewhere, you got the Rays at the Mets. The Rays won his dogs yesterday against uh, Justin Verlander. Yeah, roughed him up early. Kode Senga gets the start for the Mets, and it's going to be Josh Fleming as the opener for the Rays. This is an even spread. Total of nine. Do we go back to the well with Senga strikeouts? That's the only way I look. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not going to bet his strikeouts under, and I don't want to back him as a pitcher mm. because I, I do. he's got a tendency to walk too many yeah. guys. The Rays lineup is so sharp. They're going to walk when you walk them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I think the strikeout prop's the only way I'd look in this one. Corbin Burns starts for the Brewers in St. Louis against the Cardinals. And welcome back, Matt Libertore who uh, gets his first start of the 2023 season. Uh, Milwaukee minus 115 on the road, total of eight. Braves at the Rangers. Spencer Strider on the mound for the Braves. They're minus 160. Nathan Yavaldi goes for the Rangers. Now, all Nathan Yavaldi has done is pitch, uh, let's see, nine plus eight is, that's what, 17. 17. 17 and 8 is 25. 25. 25 and let's call it mm, 2. 27. 3. 28. And 2 thirds. 28 and 2 thirds. Mm. That's how many scoreless innings in a row Nathan Yavaldi has thrown this season right now. That's strong. And counting. So we have Spencer Strider. We have Nathan Yavaldi. We have a total of seven and a half. I might go first five under here. That seems like the way to go. Yeah. Cubs at the Astros. Drew Smiley against J.P. France. Houston minus 160. And then the Guardians at the White Sox. Mike Clevenger pitches against his former team. And Peyton Bettenfield, 0-4. Made up guy. Gets a start for the Guardians. Chicago minus 115. Total of nine. Joining us now on Straight Out of Vegas AM is the the golf expert around here, the resident expert at pregame.com. Uh, you can hear his podcast on RJ Bell's dream preview feed. He is Will Doctor. Hello, Will. How are you? AJ, great to be with you uh, here, you know, a couple days before the the second major of the year kicks off at the PGA Championship. So uh, good to be with you and uh, happy to answer any questions and, and run through what the locks are for this week. The locks, I love it. Uh, well, listen, this is obviously we we've been bringing you on every time there's a major around. So, uh, why the hell not? Let's start with the favorites and man who is seven to one to win this thing. That feels like an outrageous number. Uh, but Scotty Scheffler, uh, your favorite to win the PGA. Uh, how's Scotty looking this week? Yeah, I mean, he had a golden opportunity to uh, to take back world number one last week at the Byron Nelson. Um, I obviously love Jason Day finally breaking through. Uh, but the bottom line for this week is is the putting has been uh, the reason that Scheffler hasn't quite had the year that maybe a John Rahm has had. I mean, he's still, Scheffler still defended his title in Scottsdale and won the players. But you look over some of these events, he rolls it well at Houston. He wins instead of finishing fourth. If he rolls at average at Bay Hill, he would have defended his title at the Arnold Palmer. He putted horribly at the Masters and finished uh, tenth. Um, and and of course, I'm being a little critical of a guy who, who's still having a great year. Uh, but as far as this week is concerned, I'm out on Scotty Scheffler. I think his putting is way too suspect to uh, to win a major championship this week. Before we get into the rest of the field, let's talk about this course. Like how who's yeah. what kind of players does this course uh, who's it play to, I guess, is the way to say it. 
Yeah, AJ. So uh, this course last hosted the PGA Championship 10 years ago in 2013, and it had a completely different look. Uh, you know, it was originally designed in 1926 and had not been touched until 2019. So you look at the winner in 2013, it was Jason Duffner, and he was qualified to play this week. Uh, but Duffner only hits it about 290, 295, and he went ahead and just withdrew. Uh, because he said, if you don't hit it 320 yards or longer around this golf course, which was redesigned in 2019 by Andrew Green, you do not have a chance here. So not only is it long, not only do these par fives stretch to 450 yards and beyond, but the rough is about four to five inches. So if you don't hit a, the fairway, you're instead laying up. Um, th this is not a, this is not a PGA championship design. This is a U.S. open venue this week. Uh, there's a couple things you have to bomb the ball. If you, you cannot pick a player who hits it less than 320 yards and getting very specific, you need to dial in on putters who are very good between, between 10 and 15 feet. This isn't your average PGA tour course where there's going to be a lot of lag putting. There's not going to be a lot of distance putting. Oak Hill has the fourth smallest greens on the, the, the PGA Tour circuit. So the two things I'm looking at, someone that hits a lot of fairways, someone that hits it a long way, and someone that can put the lights out of it between 10 uh, and 15 feet. So that's my premise on Oak Hill as far as uh, not to skip over anything, but what we saw last year for the PGA Championship at Southern Hills was Justin Thomas come out on top, uh, you know, what a closing stretch that was with Mito Pereira having a one-shot lead on 18 and absolutely taking a dookie down his leg to allow Zal Torres to get into a playoff. Um, and Justin Thomas ultimately won. Now, to lead into kind of our next topic, Justin Thomas, totally different player coming into this week rather than when he won last year. What's so, different? What's What's changed yeah. for JT? Well, JT is... Really, uh, we, we just talked about Scheffler with the putting. JT is even more lost uh, with the putting. Uh, you, you know, he, he's he's using, not to get too specific, but he's using what's called Aimpoint Express now. So he, he's trying to figure out a different way to read greens. And it's not what he's been accustomed to since he's been a dominant golfer since he was 12 years old. He's switching things up. He's, he's changing putters a lot this year. Um, you know, he has not played well over his last five starts. Um, and one other thing to pay attention to, we heard murmurs about a rib injury uh, that JT was dealing with before Augusta. And if you've noticed, he has not played well since. So it's a total pass on JT this weekend, a potentially look to fade him in the matchups. So because the course plays well for bombers, do you gravitate towards someone like Rory who has been leading and driving distance lately? Well, yeah, Rory uh, Scott is number one in in driving distance in the PGA Tour. The problem is he's 193 in driving accuracy hmm. um, on the PGA Tour, and that's going to be a big problem for Rory. I, I heard him talk in his press conference earlier today, and you can just tell by his tone he's still very deflated from Augusta. And it's not only mental, it's also mechanical. He's battling a, a two-way miss, and not to nerd out too much, but when you look at his golf swing, his face is wide open on the downswing. When your face is wide open on the downswing, you either have to flip the club to try to get it back online or hold it so it doesn't snap hook off the face of the earth. That's that's a tough place to be. He even admitted it. Um, and, 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 you know, 
Unfortunately, when you look back 10 years ago at the 2013 PGA Championship, he, he did finish eighth in Rochester. But uh, this is, once again, a, a totally different Rory this week. He, he's You can tell he's still very fragile from what happened at Augusta. Um, and another guy that I'm going to look to fade with, uh, I think, one of y'all's favorites in, in Patrick Cantlay this week. I've never felt so relatable to Rory long off the tee <laughs> and uh, way in the way in the woods most of the time. So that's uh, it feels like my game. Uh, let's talk about Patrick Cantlay. Is this course preferable for a guy like him? Yeah, it totally is. You want to talk about someone that when he when he when Patrick Cantlay is swinging the club, he is most re reminiscent to the consistency that Jason Duffner brought to this golf course 10 years ago. Uh, hits it dead straight. Um, you know, hits his irons well. And we talked about that putting number between 10 and 15 feet. Uh, he's 11th on the tour uh, from 10 feet and in Patrick Cantlay on the greens. Um, you know, I, I think he's a flag hunter. I, I think, uh, you know, Cantlay, uh, when he gets on the greens this week, because the greens are so small, because it's the fourth smallest greens, um, on the PGA Tour. He's not going to have a ton of long putts. The part of Cantlay's game that really gets him in trouble is when he has a ton of long putts. He's 105th on the PGA Tour in three-putt avoidance, and that has costed him from winning a golf tournament this year. I don't think he has that problem this week because you're not going to have any lag, lag putts. You know, There's not going to be any long putts. Um, I'm taking Patrick Cantlay over Rory McIlroy at minus 102 on, on FanDuel this week. Well, let's talk about Brooks Kepka, a guy who has yeah. thrived in these, uh, I guess, you know, New York courses. You know, you look at wh what he's done in the past uh, up up in the Northeast. And so you look at the way this course is expected to play. Does Brooks Kepka fit right in as a guy who matches with the course and is also looking like he's in good form right now? You're spot on, Scott. I mean, what most people are forgetting about about the Masters is that Brooks Kepka had the 36-hole lead and was in the final pairing with John Rahm for that Sunday marathon. He had just won Live Orlando at Orange County National the week before. He was a sleeper heading into Augusta. Had Kepka won the Masters, he'd be an open championship away from the career Grand Slam, which only five players have done. Uh, but we're seeing a 360 turnaround from, from Kepka. Not only did he play well at Augusta, He's played well at his last two live starts. He just found out at the beginning of this week that he's going to be a dad to a baby boy here in about nine months. So you see with these golfers, they get married, they start having kids, they grow this, this perspective. Golf's such a mental game. I look at that as an advantage this week for Kepka. Not only is he playing well, but I think off the course, things are starting to come into form. We saw on that Netflix about nine months ago in the full swing Netflix you know, he's lost his game. His wife's driving him nuts. I think watching Kepka this week, seeing him in his press conferences, he's really got the full game. He's got his life really dialed in. And I know for you to, you know, to be high on a live guy. And, is a, and just a, to <laughs> mention, I do have a Kepka winning ticket at 25 to 1. This oh, week. wow. So, there it is. So, yeah. listen, for you to be on a live guy, uh, is this is he's got to be live this week. It's It's almost impossible for him not to be. Uh, let's talk about John Rahm and it's amazing. We've, we've gotten this far and, and not mentioned him. He's the second favorite in this plus 750. Uh, is, is this a week that you look to, to back Rahm as, as hot as he's been this year, or is this a, a course that doesn't set up well for him? Yeah, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with backing John Rahm this week. We haven't seen him, um, uh, 
since he finished second in Mexico a couple weeks after the Masters. Uh, he didn't play Wells Fargo at Quail Hollow uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, a, a lot of the the mainstream media this week with the storylines, they want to talk about seeing how Rory responds to his master's blunder if, you know, Justin Thomas is going to snap out of a funk. A lot of people are, for, are, are really quick to forget John Rahm's made $14 million alone this season, and he just became the first European uh, to win both the U.S. Open and the Masters, the first um, – in history, obviously, he faces a tall task this week, winning two major championships in, in one season. But you look back at how he's played at other PGA Championship venues. He finished fourth at Bell Reeve in 2018, eighth at Kiowa in, in 2021. Um, you know, I, I, I think with the small margins of error this week, ball striking wise, man, it, it's tough to, to, to not like John Rahm. If anyone, you know, likes him going into this week, I have nothing to say about that. Before Another we, one of the guys I, I was going to say, before we get into uh, your best bet or maybe some good matchup plays for this yeah. weekend, is there somebody down the board, a bomb shot, that you think has a chance to surprise some people and turn some heads after maybe a good first round? You know, I, I would have to say it would be Adam Scott. Um, you He's know, at 80 you to have, 1 right now. Yeah, 80 to 1. He finished fifth at the PGA Championship in 2013. When uh, when when the PGA Championship was last at Oak Hill, he's coming into Oak Hill uh, off back to back top five finishes at Quail Hollow and the Byron Nelson. You know, fellow Aussie Jason Day, he won for the first time in five years last week. I actually had to look back. It, it's been since 2020. It's been a little over three years now since Adam Scott won on the PGA Tour. You look at where. He's gone over the last couple of years. His game, Adam Scott, was very quiet from his last win in 2020 until his FedEx Cup playoff berth at the end of last year. And since then, he, he's just had a resurgence. Um, you know, if for him to win with, you know, the kind of putting that he usually performs at every week, it, it is a long shot, Scott, but I love his numbers off the tee. Mm. His distance is still there with the driver. And kind of like Patrick Cantlay, not the best putter on tour, but sneaky, a sneaky number. Yeah. He's second on tour in putting between 10 and 15 feet. Another key number this week. So um, I really like Adam Scott. He is my sleeper this week. Um, and I also have him in a matchup over Patrick Reed at minus 105 on Bet Online. Love it. And AJ, just to get specific, it's not a sleeper for Adam Scott to win. It's Adam Scott to top 20 at plus 350 on Bell. That's what I was going to say. Like maybe a top 20 yeah. or or you can get yeah, like plus 650 or 7 to 1 for a top 10 finish. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I really like that top 20 number for sure. All right. So you mentioned you have an outright ticket on Kepka. You mentioned yep. Scott over Patrick Reed. Uh, who are a couple other guys that are worth maybe throwing an outright bet on? Yeah, so uh, for, for those that have uh, listened to the Golf Preview podcast on the Dream Preview, we've had Tony Finout 50 to 1, 50 to 1 since December. Um, so that's number one. I think he's down to 28 to 1 now, uh, I believe. Uh, I, like, I still like Finau this week. The only thing with Finau is he's lost shots with the putter in three of his last four events. That's a little bit upsetting. Um, what I do like is he's fifth on tour and birdie or better conversion percentage. So, so stick with me here. Tony Finau is number one on tour in greens and regulation. 
he hits the most greens of anyone on tour. And when he does, he's fifth on tour in birdie or better conversions, which means when he is hitting a lot of greens, he is converting those putts. He is converting those birdie or better putts. I still like Tony Finau this week. I mean, uh, 28 to one, um, you know, we have him at 50, but that's a good play this week. Number two is Xander Schauffele at 18 to one. And, and Xander Schauffele across the board has been the most consistent golfer on the planet over his last four events. This is a guy at number five in the world who just hasn't done anything wrong lately. He wins the RBC Heritage with a few more putts made. He wins the Zurich Classic two ball if Cantlay makes a few more putts. And he wins Quail Hollow if he just didn't make a mess of the closing stretch at the end of the opening round. So, um, you know, he's been perfect with the driver and irons. And, you know, don't let that, don't let the, a, a couple misses here or there with the putter, let let that get in the way of you taking Xander Shoffley. He's still 19th on tour in strokes gained putting. It's not a Rory McIlroy or Justin Thomas situation. He's he's a baller on the greens. And if it's just one or two of those 10 footers down the stretch, that's all variance in golf. I think he's playing outstanding. So uh, my second winner, um, sec- or third actually, second to Finau and Kepka would be Xander Schauffele at 18 to one on, on Bavada. All right, let's talk about some guys you have to place. And I'm going to ask you about a guy that I want to play to place. Uh, in fact, I'll do that first. Uh, a guy I've heard you talk about on your podcast a couple of times, Sung J.M. You know, I'm a professional golf handicapper, Will. So I was digging into it. And he's a guy that I was like, oh, maybe maybe Sung Jay in the uh, the top 20 here. Uh, what are your thoughts on him this week? And outside of him, who are a couple guys you like to uh, to place? Yeah, well, Sung J.M. is often regarded as as golf's Cal Ripken Jr. You know, this guy, he he plays every single week on the PGA Tour. He's playing outstanding this year. I think he comes in here with five or six consecutive top 20 finishes. Uh, what what I question with Sung Jay is, let's, let's go back two weeks ago. He finishes top 10 at Quail Hollow um, in, in North Carolina, and then he gets on a plane and you know takes a 15-hour flight back to South Korea to play the South Korean PGA Championship. Not for the money, just for the fans and for the love of his home country. He goes out there and wins that tournament. I don't even know that finished Sunday. I don't even know if Sung Jae is on property yet. You know, maybe he got in to Oak Hill last night, maybe this morning. Man, it, that's a that that is a hardcore three week run of travel. Um, I have him in a lineup this week, uh, but I have nothing on Sung Jae to place outright. All right, fair enough. Who do you like? Uh, who do you like to place? Well, let's start with Dustin Johnson uh, to top twenty at uh at plus 150 uh on on bet 365 and you know the cw network they didn't show the closing stretch uh of live tulsa uh last week and said they opted to 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 move along with scheduled programming like family feud and and nancy (laughs) drew which is just pathetic you know but cedar ridge and tulsa it was it was an electric finish on sunday and dustin johnson won in a playoff over cam smith and over brandon grace and um, you know, that's that's DJ's second individual title on live. And when you look at his last 17 events, he's only been negative in strokes gained total three times. So his game's in a very consistent spot. You look back at the results, what I, which I keep doing. You look back at the results of the 2013 PGA Championship and 28-year-old Dustin Johnson finished eighth 
that week, closing with rounds of 65, 69. So um, I think he has a ton of good major championship golf left. And uh, my first pick to place for the week is going to be Dustin Johnson to top 20 at plus 150. Um, that's number one. AJ, number two is slick Rick Fowler to top 20 at plus 275. Wow. Uh, over, over on William Hill. I was doing my research last night and I was trying to, I was trying to find the guy who most resembles Jason Day's stretch of hot golf going into last week's Byron Nelson. And that guy is Ricky Fowler. Jason Day had seven top 20s. They're the same age, by the way. Jason Day had seven top 20s and nine previous starts heading into his win last week. Ricky Fowler in nine starts heading into the PGA Championship has top 20 in eight of them. So we're seeing the old Ricky Fowler come back. He's, you know, 31st in total strokes driving, which is just good enough. He's 24th in putting, which is which is plenty good enough to to ball out around Oak Hill. Um, and looking back to the 2013 PGA, Ricky finished 19th that week. So uh, second pick to place would be Ricky Fowler to top 20 at plus 275 for me. Okay, well, give us the best bet. My best bet for the week it's going to be exactly who we had last week uh, as our best bet. It's Tyrell Hatton to top 10 at plus 350 on DraftKings. He was my best bet that cashed a week ago at, at the Byron Nelson. I'm going to roll with him again simply because he hasn't finished outside the top five in, uh, in his last two starts at the Wells Fargo and Byron Nelson. And you look at his PGA Championship resume. This is an excellent major championship golfer. 10th at Baltusrol in 16, 10th at Bell Reeve in 18th, and then 11th last year at at Southern Hills. And, and that is a product, Scott and AJ, of, of the position that Terrell Hatton puts himself off the tee. He's he's great with the driver. He's ninth in total driving on the PGA Tour. And at the current moment, he is on all cylinders of this game, 11th in approach and 19th in total putting. So he's virtually top 20 in every statistical category. He's coming in here, world number 17. Um, and as long as he keeps his temper under control, you can see Tyrell get hat get hot every once in a while um you, when you miss a fairway around oak hill i mentioned the rough is four inches and higher if you happen to miss a fairway you got to take your medicine you got to punch out and kind of play for your third shot um i like his fiery fiery energy in major championships i think he has a great week uh so my best bet's going to be terrell hatton to top 10 at plus 360 all right that's will doctor pregame.com pga he's all over the place um and he is fantastic i and i, I don't say that just because he comes on our show uh dr media 59 dr dr media 59 on twitter you can find him there follow him there and check out his podcast what he's done here is like a, a tip of the iceberg to what he does on his dream preview podcast will appreciate the time as always and uh and we'll talk to you uh next time a major comes around hey jay and scott thanks so much good things thanks well good luck Make sure you guys head to pregame.com where you can take advantage of an incredible offer we have going on right now. The rest of May, all access. You pick your favorite pro and you get all of their picks for the rest of this month. That's two weeks of picks. And the price on this is cheaper than it would cost you normally to get one week of all access picks. So think about that. You can sign up for the rest of May for cheaper than you get normally one week. So it's like two weeks for the price of one, but it's not two weeks for the price of one. It's two weeks for less than the price of one. 
And here's the best part. If you are not a pregame.com member, go to pregame.com, sign up because new members get $25 to use on anything on the website. So you can use that $25 on this rest of May all access and get it for even cheaper. Simply go to pregame.com, click on buy picks and click on discounted subscriptions. And then you can take advantage of this rest of May all access. You get it again, cheaper than a normal one week all access. It's an incredible deal. And don't forget new members get a free $25 site credit just for signing up. For AJ Hoffman, Steve Fezzik, Mackenzie Rivers, I'm Scott Seidenberg. We are straight out of Vegas AM.